to get the kids to practice for school. Good morning, Mr. Adams. No. No, thank you. Okay, we are continuing our, our series in Promises That Propel. Uh, the idea of there are promises of God that are not just given to us for us to feel good or to think optimistically, but in order to, to move us forward in our relationship with him. And today we are talking about prayer. The particular verse which the promise that we're taking from James chapter 5, which we had read, was probably a bit long for a sermon title, so I just called it in general, Power in Prayer. Uh, my name is Steve Adams, I, if I didn't mention that. If you're visiting, uh, I'm the pastor of Eastgate and have been, say, for about four years now. So we're going to come before God in prayer and ask that God would work through his word and amongst his people this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we come before you in prayer, we come before the Almighty God, who is attentive and hears every detail of our prayer, and who is all-powerful to, to respond and act according to your goodwill and purposes, and you can do all that you set out to achieve. Lord, we pray as we think about the wonderful privilege that is available to us in prayer, and the very power that's available to us in prayer as we come before a God who is almighty. We pray that you might encourage us, you might challenge us and invigorate us in our own prayer life, that we might take hold of you desperately in prayer. Lord, that we might cling to you, we might cling to your promises. And Lord, where we see you working, we might give you the praise and the glory. So work in us by your spirit, and through your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, it's now very close to being four years until Sarah and I moved up here from Victoria. And when I started to prepare for this sermon, I was a bit saddened by the fact that if I've been here for four years, I think this is potentially the first sermon that I've preached on the topic of prayer. Now, certainly we've covered it and touched on it in many ways as we've worked our way through different books of the Bible, especially when we've been working our way through the book of Acts. Because it's often said that prayer and the Bible are kind of like the two necessary ingredients that God has given us for our spiritual growth. Yet while they may be the bread and butter of our growth, I have never, ever spoken with any Christian who doesn't struggle in both of those areas. Now, sometimes the issue is people get down to pray, they get distracted one minute, they're praying, the next minute they're mopping the floor and they forgot there was a transition somewhere between the two of those. So if you've done something like that, you're certainly not on your own. But sometimes there are people who just kind of dwindle away from prayer as though it's got to a point where it just doesn't feel like it's doing anything as though there's no real point, it's just going nowhere. Sam Storms, who is a pastor and also on the Council of the Gospel Coalition, says, if you come to the conclusion that prayer is a waste of time, that there is nothing to it, you may as well go to the full extent of that conclusion and say that the God of the Bible just isn't there. Now, it's good to know that Sam's quote doesn't finish there, because that would be a little bit negative. But if the God as described in the Bible is there, and he is, how much should we pray with great confidence and expectation? 
If he is there, we should pray regularly. We should pray expansively about all things. We should pray confidently and expectantly and often. Joel Beek often describes prayer as being the means by which we take hold of God and God takes hold of us. Our promise this morning that we're looking at, and I'm quoting on just for this purpose from the New King James because when I memorise this verse, I memorised it from the New King James. That was the Bible I was using at the time. And so no matter what I put on the screen, that's the words that are going to come out of my mouth anyway. So I thought I may as well make the screen match up. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person, it's not gender specific, avails much. Now, it's not a sermon on prayer and a general concept. Matter of fact, the more I prepared for this morning's message, the more I actually kind of wish I did a whole mini-series on prayer because it just kept getting bigger and bigger. So there are lots of things I'd love to touch on that time will not permit because apparently tomorrow is a public holiday. We don't want to still be here then. So here's where we're going to be heading this morning. Why should we pray? Should we pray expectantly? And what hinders our prayers? That's where we're going to head this morning. I would have loved to engage a lot more with, with James chapter 5, and I'm sure the reading raised a number of questions, but we probably won't get to touch on many of those, but certainly can talk about those in conversation. And if you're in the Monday community group, we probably will begin a study through the book of James at the beginning of this year. So why should we pray? I wonder what's your answer to that question. If someone says to you, why, as a Christian, do you pray? Is your answer simply, well, I'm a Christian, that's what Christians do. No, you have to pray, you're Christians. You're not a Christian if you don't pray. Is that the answer you give? Because if your answer is, it's because it's what we have to do as a Christian, it kind of starts to become an obligation. And when we talk about obligation... It's not really a word that usually has connotations of joy and desiring to do something. It starts to feel more like a chore when you think of something as an obligation. So if the main reason that comes to your mind as to why do I pray is because I'm a Christian and I should, and if I get to the end of the day I haven't prayed, I better pray because Christians pray, then I want to get you to challenge to think a little bit differently, a little bit higher about why you pray. Because where your motive is small, or where your why or your reasoning is small, your motivation is always going to be small. But if your, motive, your reason and your why is big, your motivation will be easy, natural. It will come far more freely. So what's a bigger motivation? What's a bigger why we pray than just because I'm a Christian and I should? Let's have a look at the Bible, starting first with the motivation from the book of Hebrews and have a look at some of the things Jesus says. The writer of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to find help in time of need. It's not many words, but 
Man, there's some big truths in there, isn't there? That we have Jesus Christ as our high priest, our personal mediator before the very throne of God. The same Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us, not while we were doing things pleasing to him, but while we were living as though we were hostile and enemies of his. And if he's willing to die for us while we were living as enemies, how much more is he on our side if we are adopted as his beloved children? And the same Jesus, who is our high priest, our mediator, when we come before him in all of our brokenness and our weakness, he's not there to, to whack you over the head. He says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And because we, our prayers come before Jesus, our high priest, he sympathizes in all of our brokenness and weakness. He says, let us come with confidence before the throne of grace to receive help, to receive grace. Isn't that an amazing thought? That when we bring forth our prayers, they go before the very throne room of God. They're not stuck in your little room, even though sometimes it might feel a little bit that way. They go before the very throne and presence of God. Before a God who has sympathy with all of our brokenness and weakness. And because this is such an immense privilege, Jesus speaks often of prayer. If I was to summarize the main areas that Jesus focused on, I'd say this. Jesus says, you have a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Ask and persist. That would summarize the main things that Jesus said regarding prayer. Beginning with Matthew chapter 7. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if your son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, while I'm sure there are some people who have used those verses kind of like a name it and claim it, you say whatever you like and Jesus will just automatically give it to you. That's not what Jesus is saying and we'll address that a little bit later. But what he is saying is, just think about it. As parents, we naturally have no trouble giving good gifts to our children. How much more your heavenly father give good gifts, he is so much more greater in terms of his character but unlike us as parents he is not limited in any sense in terms of his resources and his ability to give he wants to give good things he's able to give and because he wants to give he's able to give jesus repeatedly reminds us ask Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Again, this isn't a name and claim it. This isn't a special magical way of phrasing things that if you add in Jesus' name at the end of it, then all of a sudden you can have a million-dollar house and a big car. 
in that culture, to speak of someone's name was representative of the whole character of that person. To ask something in his name means according to his character, according to his will. And Jesus says, you ask me anything according to my character and will, it is done. And Jesus keeps reminding, ask, your God wants to give. And there's good reasons why we should ask. As we ask, we are believing that he hears our prayer, that we're not just praying into an empty space. As we ask, we believe he is able to act according to his good will and purposes, that he's not limited in his ability to do anything. As we ask him, we believe that he is trustworthy with the thing that we bring before him. As we ask, we're acknowledging that his character is good. Whatever way he responds is going to be for my good. And as we ask, we believe that he is a God who loves to give good gifts. But when we don't ask, we either we communicate this thing I'm not asking about. Either we don't trust him with it, we don't want it in his hands, or somehow we blindly think, I've got this covered, I don't need Jesus in this area of my life. Jesus is the Lord of all. Everything. There he says, I have been given all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. All of his character is good. Why would there be anything that we would not want to place into his hands? I know from enough life experience, when I leave things in my own hand, I can make a right royal mess of it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could recapture the enormous privilege that we have in prayer? That our prayers come before the almighty God who hears our prayers, all the details. Whether they be small, whether they be big. He invites us to bring anything before him. And everything he does is good. That should ramp up both our motivation and our expectation. But how much? should we expect? It's all well and good to say we should pray expectantly, but what do we mean? Now, for some people, as I said, some people have given up on prayer. They just kind of feel like it hasn't really achieved anything. They think it would be foolish to think that or expect that God would do something in response to prayer. But what we're seeing, if the God of the Bible does exist... He's a God who reveals, who wants to be known, who loves to give good gifts to his children. He's able to do everything he sets out to achieve. Shouldn't we pray expectantly? Now that's probably an expression you need to be very careful about how you use, isn't it? Does it mean I should just pray for anything at all and I just expect that God's going to Give it to me like I've got a little magic genie. Within the idea of praying expectantly, there are some excessive ideas that we probably should avoid. But there are also some biblical ideas we probably do well to embrace. Now we know what Jesus said about we have a father who loves to give good gifts. The writer of the Hebrew says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. From the author of Hebrews' perspective, genuine 
Christian faith must essentially consist of acknowledging that he exists and that this God who exists loves to reward those who diligently seek him. To have a faith of any other description is not the faith the Bible speaks of. Now some will read things like this and think, I can just ask God whatever I like, click my fingers, say in Jesus' name at the end, and it's mine. Or sometimes there's a slightly different perspective of that. If, if I just have enough faith, then I can have absolutely everything. Well, there's an element of truth in that, and there's an element of error in that. The truth that's within it is recognises that the God that we bring our prayers before has absolutely no boundaries, no limitations whatsoever. Like Jesus taught on that principle in Mark chapter 11. He says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, again, Jesus is not teaching a name it and claim it. It's worth noting the very first thing Jesus says is, have faith in God. The faith that he's talking about is a faith in a God of the Bible, not a faith in your prayer or the way in which you word or ask a particular prayer, because it's always God, his character, his will, his power that makes prayer effective. Not our prayer, not our wording. Then he provides an extreme example saying, so much am I able to answer your prayers if what you asked was the moving of a mountain, if that was my will, I can do that. God has a measurable power to dispense anything he wants to do. That's the true bit. But the error in the name it and claim it or have enough faith in everything you've got is going to be yours, completely distorts who is the Lord. Let me tell you, there is one Lord, and it's not me, it's not you. So when we come before God, no matter how exuberant we are, and we say, God, you need to give me this, give me this, give me this, in Jesus' name, we're basically saying, God, this is my will, be my servant, serve me and do what I command you to do. Who's the Lord in that scenario? If I dictate, expect him to serve. We basically say, I'm the Lord, you serve me and my purpose. Praying in faith is bringing a situation before the God of the Bible. Trusting that he can do everything he wants to do, that everything he does is good and perfect, and entrusting that into his will. So you'll do what's best. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I might ask you to say, this is what I think. But God, if you've got something better, I want that. Now, there is a concept of biblical expectancy. The Apostle John speaks about a confidence in this way, saying this is the confidence that we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he, that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If you ask anything according to his will, he says, it will be done. 
guaranteed. No doubt he is able, no matter how small it is, no matter how big it is, even if it's grander than anything that you can normally think up, if that is God's will, he is able. But what I also find comforting as someone who sometimes struggles in prayer, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf and prays according to the perfect will of God. And so I wonder sometimes when what we think are unanswered prayers, I wonder if it's not so much that God didn't answer the specific request we made, but answered the better prayer that the Holy Spirit made on our behalf. Or maybe it could just be that God wants us to continue to persist. Like Jesus talked about persisting in prayer. He, as he's got his disciples around him, he tells them a parable that they must ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he goes on and tells the parable of the persistent widow who kept asking over and over again. Paul tells the Colossians to continue steadfastly in prayer. Throughout the New Testament, we see over and over again, pray without ceasing, be consistent, be regular in prayer. But when it comes to some of the big things in life, I think sometimes our prayer lives might look a little bit more like the situation in Acts chapter 12 than we might want to acknowledge. Now, the situation in Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison. And the church is praying that Peter might be released from prison. Peter gets out of prison, goes to one of the houses where the people are praying that he might be released from prison. Rhoda the servant comes to the door, goes back and tells them, Peter's at the door, and they think she's insane. They've been praying for Peter to get out of prison. He gets out of prison, God answers the prayer, and then they refuse to believe that God would answer the prayer that they've just prayed. We pray for big things and sometimes we are reluctant to believe that God actually would answer in a big way. But why don't we expect? Is it because we think God won't answer my prayer? I'm just, I'm just an ordinary bloke. Remember what, what James pointed us back to? He says, Elijah was just a normal bloke like, he, like you and I. And he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. It's interesting that James tells us that, because when you read those accounts in 1 Kings 17 and 18, it doesn't actually tell us that, that he prayed. Well, you know, have that insight from the book of James. What we do hear from 1 Kings 17, verse 1, is God had told the people there would be a drought. So what Elijah has done is he, he prays fervently, expectantly, because God says this is going to happen. And in the same way as we're reading through the Bible, when God says, I will do this, we can pray fervently that he will do that. Elijah prayed for big things which came to pass and James says, you know what? He's just like you and I. Big things happen not because of he was a great prayer warrior or, or because of who he was. Big things happen because of the power of the God that he brought his requests before he was just a humble servant who was fervently praying before an almighty God. And I think the second reason why we expect things aren't going to happen is we think, oh, that's a bit big. Now, that, that, that's asking a bit too much. Or that, that, that one's a bit of a tough ask. Really? 
You're coming before the God who has all power over absolutely everything and you think, I won't ask him this one. That might be a bit tricky for him. That doesn't make sense. Here's a way I started to think about it when, when I'm challenged to think that way myself. I think, can I ask that in a prayer? Yeah, I reckon I can. Is it possible that I could even think about that? Is it possible I could even imagine what it would look like to have that answered? Because if your limited mind is capable of thinking about it, asking it, well, I can give you this guarantee from God. He was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's a good way to think about it, isn't it? When we think, this is too much, this is too much to ask. I shouldn't ask, it's too big. Think, can I ask it? Is it something I can think of? Can I imagine what it would look like? Well, the one I'm bringing it before can do abundantly more than the biggest crazy thing that I could imagine. Now, I want to read a quote for you that someone has written on the power of prayer. I just want you to think about it for a moment. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course and arrested the progress of a thunderbolt. That's some pretty massive claims there. There is in it an all-sufficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain and the mother of a thousand blessings. Now, I know when I read something like that and you think, where's he got that from? He says it's a quote. And there'll be some of you who are probably thinking, oh, yeah, I know Steve's got some mild charismatic inclinations. It's probably one of these crazy charismatic people that he likes to read on occasions. I'll tell you who it is. It's John Chrysostom from the 4th century. Very early Christian writer. And every single one of those examples that you think, man, that's getting a bit crazy. He is talking about specific examples given in the Bible that people prayed and God did something. When your view of God is small, your expectation will be small. When your view of God is high, even the unimaginable actually comes into the realm of possibility. Now, if Jesus is Lord of all, and he is, there's not a single area of life that he is not Lord over that we can't bring before him. Even the areas that, that might seem to have a really almost impossible by our mind. What if I've been struggling with this for years, decades? What about my growth spiritually? What about sickness? What about the circumstances in my life? Now, I wish I had more time to actually go into more detail on a lot of those things, but as I said, I'm respecting tomorrow is a public holiday and we don't want to still be here. But there's nothing that he's not Lord over. We should be expecting that God can and will 
answer according to his will. Not according to my dictation, according to his will. Whether that be small and reasonably insignificant in the eyes of the world, or whether that be abundantly massive, he is able. Even if the answer is completely different than the one that we ask for. If God answers according to his will, if it's different than the one I asked for, it's a better answer. So clearly we're all prayer warriors, right? We've got the hang of this. Nothing's going to stand in our way. Well, there are some things that the Bible tells us are a hindrance to our prayer. We've already seen from our key promise, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. So beforehand we've seen that if it's not according to God's will, it's certainly not going to happen. But the prayers of a righteous, a godly, an upright person achieve much. In other words, our sin is a hindrance to our prayers. The psalmist in Psalm 66 says, If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. Proverbs 15, one of which, which Samuel had up beforehand, God listens to the prayer of the righteous, of the upright. Or even one very narrow but very specific example Peter gives us in 1 Peter 3, 7. says, Husbands, live respectfully with your wives, lest your prayers be hindered. Our sin hinders our prayers. It damages our relationship with God in every way, including our prayer life. Our doubting or unbelief hinders our prayers. Now, it's quite common for the Bible to connect faith and prayer together. Although sometimes people are really, really unhelpful and someone who's not getting something done, particularly, say, if it was an area of of healing and someone thinks they're being helpful and saying, that's because you don't have enough faith. That's not a very helpful thing to do. There are countless examples of the Bible where God's plan was not to heal somebody. But in James chapter 1, where James is encouraging the people to pray for wisdom, he says it this way, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So our sin, doubting, unbelief, and lastly, selfish motives hinder our prayers. Just before our chapter 5, James chapter 4, James says, you don't have because you don't ask. And then when you do ask, you ask according to your passions. In other words, you ask with a bad motive. You you want something just because it does something for you, for your own selfish reasons. And he says that is a hindrance. Why you don't have? Because you ask with a selfish motive. And that actually might even be asking for a good thing with a selfish motive and they're just three examples of things that can be a hindrance so if we desire to connect with god in prayer we should desire to pursue holiness we should desire to to cling on to him in faith to his promises and we should ask with sincere motives so as we begin to wrap up i just want us to challenge us as i am often challenged by the words from the previous chapter, James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, 
that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What he's saying to them is this, there are things which you desire and because you don't have them, you put in all of your strength and effort to grab hold of them by yourself. And it seems that James is talking about the pursuit of good things. He's not talking about material or stealing things. There's no prisoner sitting in prison thinking, oh, I should have read James chapter 4. If I just asked, I would have got it. It wouldn't have been theft. I wouldn't have ended up in jail. Maybe they're asking for good spiritual things. Maybe they were jealous of one another's gifts. We don't know. Joel Beek, who's a Reformed Baptist theologian and also uh, I think he's the president of the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, has this to say about prayer. He says, Our biggest problem is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. He says, Our biggest problem isn't that God doesn't answer prayers, but we are so slow to bring things before God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, we need to take hold of God in prayer. We need to trust him at his word. We need to take a bigger glimpse of of who God is to know who we're bringing our requests before. We need to dig deep into his word to know what is his character, what is his will. Romans 12 tells us, by the renewing of our mind, we will know the things that are pleasing to him, that are according to his will. And we need to let God take hold of us as we engage him in prayer. We need to trust that he hears, that our prayers actually do, not just say nice concept, actually do go before the throne of God. He hears every minute detail. He wants to hear every minute detail. He wants to give good gifts to his children and good according to his character, his will, his plans that he actually can do abundantly more than everything we can ask or imagine. I don't know about you, I can imagine massive stuff. And he can do abundantly more than that. Sometimes we read that, those verses and we think, yeah, God can do abundantly more. I read this person in the book say how God did this, God did this for this person, as though this abundantly more is for other people or people who have TV shows or write books. what can be done through any effective, fervent prayer of any righteous servant. Or sometimes we might read through the Bible and we see some big prayers be prayed and we see some really big answers and we think, oh, wouldn't it be great if life was even just something like that? Wouldn't it be great to live in the Bible times because that's when all the real big stuff happened. It's, it's kind of like we think if it's in the Bible, it's just totally different than anything we might experience. But I think James points us to Elijah to remind us, he goes, you know what, Elijah did ask big. And big things did happen. He says, he's given us that example. Elijah is just like you and I. It wasn't that Elijah was big. It wasn't that Elijah was special. It was just that Elijah was a faithful servant, a righteous servant who fervently offered his prayers before a powerful and almighty God who was pleased to act in accordance to those requests. Let's close in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, it's mind-boggling to think of what we have available to us in prayer and how much we've neglected. Lord, if you have stirred in us this morning to recapture our vision for prayer and a heart to seek you and a heart to, to wrestle with you and the promises that you have made in your word. But Lord, we know this doesn't give us a right to name it and to claim it. Lord, we thank you that your will is always good and perfect for us. We don't want to get frustrated with you in your answer isn't our answer. We don't want to be like the one in James who prays according to our own passions, the things that we just want for ourselves. Lord, we want you to be honoured and glorified. We want people to see something of, of you and your gospel power at work. Not just through things that look good in the eyes of this world, but even through brokenness, even through pain and sickness at times. Lord, help us to trust you at your word. Help us to cling to you in prayer. Lord, may we see you do big things in and through everyday people. Not just today, not just this year, and not just for these people here this morning, but for your people all around the world, we pray. In Jesus' powerful name we ask. Amen.